and welcome back to Watch Once Never Again, the podcast where we watch disturbing movies so that you don't have to. I'm Dax. I'm Marybeth. And today, have we got some shit for y'all. Um, today we are covering, in our second episode on our of our Ari Aster series, <laughs> um, we are covering Hereditary. Yay! Yay! We have been talking about this for a while, so I am very excited that we are delving into it. I am wearing my uh, I Am Your Mother speech shirt from Andrew Lesane. I am very excited to jump into one of the best horror movies ever made. I am wearing my uh, King Payman tattoo that I can't you know, remove from my body. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you can if you really wanted to, but... Hey, that's... You know what? Absolutely <laughs> accurate. <laughs> I have a lot of um, I Am Your Mother merch also. There was, like, a couple years there where, for Christmas, everyone kept getting me that stuff, and oh my you God. know what? It never got old. <laughs> it was oh, it was funny every time. That is incredible. <laughs> And like you, I have several hereditary shirts. I do plan yep. to get another hereditary tattoo. I love this movie so much. It helped to influence making this podcast, actually. Yeah. I have two hereditary shirts. I have a pair of hereditary sweatpants that are incredible. Uh, no, I have three hereditary shirts. <laughs> Goddamn. And I really want a hereditary tattoo. You gotta really, get one. Really, really so, yes, yes. And so I this forgot. Movie is, this I this movie is very uh, poster right next to me too. <laughs> Tony Colette is looking down at me right now. No, well. stop! After I saw this movie, for like, I'm not even kidding. Okay, I'm not easily scared, but for like three nights after I saw this movie, I was genuinely afraid that Tony Collette was on my ceiling looking at me. <laughs> and I kept sleeping with, I couldn't sleep, first of all, the first night that I saw it. And then I kept leaving all the lights on because I was so fucking scared. I was like concerned. And when I would enter a room, I would literally like look up at the corner. <laughs> so I was like, she is not getting me. Not today. Absolutely. Not today, Tony Collette. That is fucking incredible. So, listeners, we are actually going to split our discussion about Hereditary into two parts um, because there is so much to talk about. And this is a shorter series, so this will just, you know, give you even more to listen to because I know that Dax and I both have a lot to say about this movie. And also, it's appropriate because Aster also describes this movie as being in two parts. Um, that begins as a family tragedy and then becomes like a full, a full ass nightmare. So we, I didn't know that as I was, uh, writing outline for this, but I kind of split it up that way. So good for me for occupying the headspace of Ari Aster. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but the first part of the first part is going to obviously talk a lot about like family trauma. And then the second part, we'll talk about more of like the scarier nightmarish aspects. So Get fucking ready because I'm so excited to talk about this fucking movie. But I know that we're going to read the synopsis before we get into the shit. Yes, as always. Except for last week. (laughs) Well, there was nothing. Yeah, there wasn't anything to read. It was different. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the synopsis. Um, It says... Of course, you know, it's from Wikipedia. <laughs> this one would be really annoying to write, so... Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it says, Miniature artist Annie Graham lives with her psychiatrist's husband, Steve, their 16-year-old son, Peter, and their 13-year-old daughter, Charlie. The family attends the funeral of Annie's cold, distant mother, Ellen, and Annie is surprised at the number of people in attendance. Annie attends a bereavement support group, revealing she and her mother had a fraught relationship until Charlie was born, when Ellen became a significant figure in raising her. Meanwhile, Steve gets a phone call during a conversation with Annie, telling him that unknown perpetrators desecrated Ellen's grave, but he does not reveal this to her. (laughs) Peter Peter is invited to a party, and Annie insists on Charlie going with him. 
On the way to the party, the siblings pass a telephone pole carved with an old sigil. At the party, Peter leaves Charlie by herself, and Charlie, who has a severe nut allergy, eats chocolate cake containing walnuts and goes into anaphylactic shock. As Peter drives Charlie to the medical center, she leans out the window for air. When Peter swerves to avoid a dead animal, she is decapitated by the sigiled telephone pole. In shock, Peter drives home and leaves Charlie's body in the car, where Annie discovers it the following morning. Annie grieves deeply and blames Peter for Charlie's death, while Peter becomes reclusive and feels incredibly guilty. Steve attempts to bring them back together during this time. Annie befriends support group member Joan. Joan teaches Annie to perform a seance to communicate with Charlie. Later that night, Annie convinces her family to attempt a seance. That's inaccurate. Objects. (laughs) (laughs) So sorry to tell you, but... (laughs) Objects begin to move and break. Peter is petrified when Annie speaks in Charlie's frightened voice until Steve douses her with water. As Peter begins to be plagued by supernatural forces, Annie suspects Charlie's spirit has become malevolent. When she sees images in Charlie's sketchbook threatening Peter, she throws the book into the fireplace. However... Her clothing catches fire alongside the book and only stops when she pulls it away from the flames. Annie goes through her mother's old belongings. She finds a photo album featuring pictures of Joan and Ellen together, despite Joan claiming she never knew Annie's mother. Ellen is revealed to have been Queen Lee, the leader of a coven. Annie also discovers a book about a demon king named Payman, which states that King Payman wishes to inhabit the body of a male host. The summoner of Payman will receive wealth and rewards. In the attic, Annie finds Ellen's body and occultist symbols. This movie is so fucked up. <laughs> I know. Jesus Christ. I know. Sorry. Um, <laughs> while Peter is outside his school, Joan appears and attempts to expel his spirit from his body to the demon king. In class, he is taken over by an unseen force and slams his head against the desk. Annie, <laughs> Annie informs Steve of her discoveries and implores Steve to burn the sketchbook. When Steve accuses Annie of being ill, Annie seizes the book. She throws it into the fireplace, but Steve erupts into flames as it bursts, or as it burns. As Annie looks on, she becomes possessed by King Payman himself. Peter awakens to find his father's charred corpse by the fire and nude coven members in the house before a possessed Annie chases him into the attic. Peter watches Annie decapitate herself with a piano wire before diving out of the attic window to escape. As Peter lies on the ground, Payman possesses him and Annie's headless corpse levitates into Charlie's treehouse. The now-possessed Peter follows his mother's floating body into the treehouse. There, he finds Joan, other coven members, the headless corpses of his mother and grandmother, and Charlie's crowned, severed head resting atop a mannequin. Joan appears and places the crown on Peter's head. She addresses him as Charlie, swears an oath to him as payment, and declares that he is now free to rule over the coven. As the coven members chant, Hail Payman, Peter stares blankly ahead. The End what a feel-good family movie. It's fun for the whole family. <laughs> really happy ending. Really uplifting. So, <laughs> what's first on the agenda? <laughs> so, I think first on the agenda was talking about just the title. And yes. why is it called Hereditary? And I know that we both have a lot of thoughts about this. So, Dax, tell me what your thoughts are about the title of hereditary i don't know if you've had this experience i'm gonna guess you have i have talked to so many people who think because it's called hereditary that the movie would have been better if it was just about mental illness have you talked to anybody who says this no i've actually never heard that wait i hate that so much (laughs) um they they Sorry think that to jump to that conclusion if you feel that way, but I don't like that at all. They think that the movie shouldn't have delved into possession or anything because it's called hereditary, so it's just only about mental illness. And oh. a lot of people think that's really what the movie is about. 
And, like, I can see it that way. I, I don't personally think it would be better if it was only about that. Um, but I that's do see I what like they're saying. That, that's I why like I that like it, though. too. Like, I just feel like so many of these movies jump into mental illness. And while it's very valid, I just want to see... I just like seeing something different that doesn't have that take. That looks at Hereditary as, like, a very different idea. And but still, I think it still makes a really incredible and fucked up commentary on intergenerational trauma, which we'll talk about more in depth. I I also I'm similar. Like I appreciate that it wasn't just about that, because I think with this movie specifically, I feel like that would be kind of a letdown if it was just like, well, she's just crazy. It's all in her head, which is Ugh. what a lot of people think the movie should have done. And I, just I find that wild. That. I, I appreciate that there's more nuance to it. And it's like, oh, just, well, <laughs> my favorite movie is Rosemary's Baby. So I think it's very funny, like, that I'm about to say this. But I like that it's like, oh, it's not all in her head. It is really real. There are plots against people. Like Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see people would think it would be better the other way. There's just so many movies like that that are about, like, crazy women, and I'm so tired of them. I love a movie that is incredibly matriarchal and, like, not – it goes into, like, an incredibly dark, fucked up place that is steeped in the supernatural, and I love that. Because, I mean, like, to kind of get – like, I see – the title as like talking more about like inheritance of trauma, but I also see it be inheritance of trauma, which we'll obviously talk about. But I also think my favorite thing about this movie is how Aster makes this like incredible sense of inevitability. Like everything, like nothing in this movie is avoidable. Like, and again, we'll talk about that more in depth, but the word hereditary to me also has a sense of inevitability because you can't avoid hereditary traits like they're built into your DNA. Like your, if you can get like certain predispositions for illnesses, and even like your hair color and things like that, and so like you're inheriting something, whether you like it or not. If it's a hereditary trait, and you take that on without explicit consent, and you have to cope with it, and in this case, be consumed by it. So I see like this idea of hereditary, this inevitable thing that Annie and her family are going to like inherit without knowing it until it's too late. 100%. 100% agreed. Yeah. I definitely see the um, inherited trauma aspect, and I feel like that's hard not to pick up on. But yeah, I, I do. I see even... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like... I, I also see, um, you know, your DNA and stuff as you can't control it and again nothing in this movie can be controlled because it's already planned for you you have to yeah you have to go on that ride a lot of people i've seen a lot of people recently say that they only just saw payman's sigil on the telephone pole i don't know how everyone missed that it's not i'm not saying (laughs) like (laughs) <laughs> you're stupid or something I mean, it's like, just i thought it it literally pans over to it and stops on it so i actually i didn't see it the first time i think i don't know why i think it was just one of those things that like which is something i love about this movie is that and we can kind of transition into talking about inevitability in this movie because i think well, i i know it's not subtle in presenting that but if you're not paying full attention you might not see it because i didn't the first time i saw it the second time i saw it in theaters but i think aster gives us a lot of information very subtly that portrays that inevitability like a lot of things aren't like ex- they are explicitly said but it's not like in this big like massive reveal that like it's set in conversation once and then you never hear about it again and I yeah, think it's, it's like piecemeal really... yeah and i kind of like the way that aster maybe he doesn't try to explicitly pull it out but on rewatches you kind of really see how fucked this family was from the beginning yeah i don't i think it's e- i guess it's easy to miss the telephone pole thing because 
um, it's kind of small on there. Yeah. I mean, like, you're right, because it does, like, stop on it, but it just, like, you're like, oh, yeah, Aster just, like, does weird shit like that. Because he does, like, have some really interesting, like, choices in cinematography. Because, again, like, mm. a lot of really interesting filming choices, especially with the introduction when we're zooming in on the house as a miniature, as a dollhouse. Wow, I love it. <laughs> oh, my God. I love the use of dollhouses. Like, we'll talk about that later. But I fucking love the use of miniatures in this movie. It's so fucking cool. I have so many thoughts about it. And it's also just another another clue that nothing, like, you're being controlled. They are the dolls yes, in the dollhouse. they're house. the dolls. Yes. Oh, my God. They're the dolls in the dollhouse. And they're all just being kind of puppeteered by a greater force. And that's and you see that, like, I love how they sandwich the beginning and the end with that. Because when we see... Peter slash Charlie, Charlie, not even slash, like Charlie being crowned payment, it zooms out to see it as a miniature. And, mm-hmm. oh my God, it just feels like the, these cosmic forces are just fucking with us and manipulating us and there's nothing we can do to stop it. And you're just watching like a, sp- a family spiraling, trying to under get control and they never will. It's so fucked up this movie fucks me up like mostly because of that just like the dis- this absolute fucking destruction of a family with and it's just inevitable yeah it's super fucked up and it's fucked up if you like look into the history of king payman who like it's not made up for this movie that's like a yeah. real um demon from uh the lesser key of solomon it's like he has to take the most broken down person so like the whole movie was his their grandmother uh ellen um orchestrated it so that eventually one day her whole entire family would be broken down like in spirit and body and just their minds so that (laughs) this demon could take them (laughs) like that's so fucked up when you think about it like she was she was playing the long game I never thought about it like that because I don't I don't think I knew that I didn't know that at payment having to take like the most broken body and yeah. that's fucked. The up. whole goal is to so <clears throat> let me just be a nerd for a second. Tell me, I love it. They okay. kind of touch on this in the movie, but um King Payment is a demon that is kind of androgynous looking and um he needs a male body specifically that's why he couldn't take charlie's body and if anyone cares i wrote like an academic paper on this about trans identity in hereditary i actually want to have like a whole discussion about that if you're if you're at one point if you're feeling it i would love to um i didn't I famously didn't write any notes, but I I put it I put it down for next time too, so you can have more time to prep. But I wanted to like, yeah. talk about all that shit. I would love to. I probably still won't prep, but I would love to. I yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so King Payman is like an androgynous demon. It specifically needs a male body. So, um, the way, and I think they might touch on this in the movie, but the way that he gets the body is, you know, his followers make the offering and then he takes the spiritually broken person. So really, really the whole project of this like cult is to break Peter down. Peter specifically. That's so that, um, they can, he can take the body of like the first male child in the family. Um, so the all of this, when you really think about it, all of this is happening so that Peter specifically has a mental breakdown. So yep, it's it's wow. just torturing only him. Like I mean, obviously it gets the other people in his family, but who is sitting there watching it all happen? <laughs> who who is the one who uh, arguably suffers the most? I mean, it caught like the cult and and Payman himself caused peter to kill his little sister by accident because that there was nothing in that road if you watch that again the road is clear (laughs) and then something is suddenly there i it's so good and you know what everyone 
rightfully so, everyone talks about how great Tony Collette is in this movie, and she really is. I can't stress it enough. But um, everyone else is really good in this movie, too. And Dowd, I was going to say Peter Gabriel. <laughs> That's not right. Gabriel Byrne, <laughs> Millie Shapiro, and Alex Wolf. Alex, Alex Wolf is on another level, and he... no one talks about that. Okay, let's talk about this real quick, because I want to talk about performances today. Uh, like you said, obviously Tony Collette deserves like all of the accolades forever, but so does Alex Wolf, because, okay, the scenes where he is just... It's like like just very ecstatic long takes of him just looking in the camera. His facial expressions depict so many feelings and pain and like <coughs> sorry confusion and like especially with Charlie's death. Like and in the context of talking about like him being broken down, like you see him emotionally breaking down in these moments. And again, Alex Wolf just captures that so incredibly tragically well i just he like when him like when and again we talk about tony colette's i'm your mother speech but he also holds his own in that moment like he doesn't have Mm -hmm. a big monologue but the way he confronts her and like the way he like stands up for tries to stand up for himself is also really powerful yeah the line where he's like why was she there mom that kills me that's cutthroat. It is. Cu- he is cutthroat. And, like, I love that because if we're looking at this from, like, kind of the confronting, like, intergenerational trauma, it's, like, you see him trying to, like, if we want to put it in, like, terms of mental illness and, like, a little bit broader than the actual, like, horrendous breaking down of Peter, it also is him, like, trying to get away from that and confront that toxic relation like the toxic relationships that annie and her mother had and how that translates into annie's own experience with motherhood and peter is trying so desperately to like confront that even in the context of grief but this movie takes a very i think like pessimistic approach to like attempting to break that and obviously this doesn't just become like a one-to-one comparison of intergenerational trauma as it becomes like incredibly supernatural but still i think it has a very pessimistic like linked to the inevitability pessimistic perspective on like trying to escape Mm -hmm. intergenerational issues and like struggles and how hard it can be to break those patterns and the like extreme consequences of giving in than actively fighting but also kind of the futility of actively fighting that which is i think why i wish we knew about aster like i understand why he keeps his family life close to the chest because we all kind of like obviously throw our own interpretations into his like relationships with family but it really does make me question so many things about his relationship to his own family yeah same like he he has said in multiple interviews and we kind of went over it yeah. That his family has experienced suffering. And I really want to know what the fuck that means. Obviously, I know, I know like... why he doesn't disclose it. And I respect that. But I wish I knew. Like, it's like, you don't owe us that. But I'm just so fascinated. It's hard not to be. Because what, su- what suffering resulted in this? You, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like what? It's just, I can only, like, exactly. Like, what the fuck? I very much respect the privacy around it, but it's, oh my god, my, the the interest is peaked. And especially, let's talk about moms. Let's. You want to talk about, (laughs) let's talk about motherhood. Oh, you want to talk about mothers. It's mother time. (laughs) Please, please say you know what that is. I don't, I'm sorry. I just thought I was making that up. I knew it's it was from white I, chicks. Oh, uh, okay. I haven't seen white ch- mothers. Let's talk about them. I I know that a lot of people have complicated relationships with their mothers. I think us included, both of us. <laughs> Not to make assumptions, but I think we both have complicated mother shit. And I think what this movie does very well is depicting that relationship of motherhood. And what it means to not be a good mom. Because I think, I don't know how you feel, but I don't think Annie is a very good mom. 
And I don't mean that as like an insult. And it's more, I know it's, it's not, it's more complicated than she's a bad mom, obviously. But I, to get more, a little bit more like nuanced here, I don't think she fully grasps how to be a mother. I would agree with that. So perhaps saying she's a bad mother is the wrong thing, but she doesn't really understand how to do it because I think of her mother who was cold and distant and trying to get her both husband and son possessed by pain. At least that's how, okay, let's talk about that. Her, she bro- was, her brother. Well, I'm saying, sorry, Annie's son. Annie, not Annie's son. Annie's mother, Ellen's son. So Annie's oh, mother. Oh, yes, yes. And Annie's dad, too, right? And, the, like, she, I mean, I'm assuming my assumption here, because Annie reveals this kind of, like, passive not passively but like it's mentioned in passing almost like when she's at the grief group discussing her kind of complicated family history that her brother was schizophrenic i believe they they described it as um saying people are trying to get into his body so as we watch the movie we perhaps can infer that ellen was trying to put payment inside of his body is how i read that and then also the same thing happened to her father, right? Um, I think he died of starvation, right? He did, but I kind of I also interpreted that as like being used as a vessel, perhaps, and failure of that. I'm not sure. It's not clear because I was under the yeah. assumption that it needed the firstborn child of the family. Okay. Okay. Like the firstborn son. But you know what? I'm not 100% on that. I just thought it was interesting that like her father also passed away in a rather tragic situation. And I kind of had... I guess I inferred that the at least Ellen had something to do with that. Maybe he was in the coven and it was... I don't know. But there's something going... I think there's something interesting going on there with how Ellen interacted with the ma- the men in her life and kind of using them instead of seeing them. And again, like, again, Ellen seeing children as pawns for something rather than children, because she just sees it as a means to an end, I think. And that, I think, translates to Annie trying perhaps to love her children more than her mother loved her, but she doesn't really understand perhaps how to love fully. Yeah, and it seems sort of um targeted more specifically at peter like yes oh i want to talk about that too yes yes yes. charlie's clearly the favorite um even though she is not she is not like warm with charlie all the time either they're they she seems to have like a more um nuanced relationship with charlie like she we do see her trying to comfort charlie who was very close to the grandmother and you know she has that talk with her and is like oh well i was a tomboy too you know and charlie's like she thought i should have been a boy about uh, like talking about her grandmother and you know i don't know um annie's trying to comfort her but then we do see you know she calls charlie stupid (laughs) She's like, what does she say? What are you, some sort of idiot? Doesn't she say that? Uh, When Charlie goes outside, she's like following... She's following Ellen's like ghost figure. Like, Um, it's like, what are you, some sort of idiot? It's just... And then... She just... I think she wants so so badly to know how to mom, but she just doesn't. And I also think... Again, I think the treatment of the men in her life prior to having kids and being married, she saw her mother. I, And again, this is all inference because it's not really directly said or in, like kind of investigated past the grief group conversation. But it seems like the men in her life were pawns more than Annie. So men were treated with like more, I'm assuming maybe more of a distance, more of seeing them as utilitarian. And then that translates to Annie's own experience raising Peter of like, you're just, you're not as, you're, you're a different thing. You're not even a kid maybe, or I don't know if that makes sense. Like she maybe didn't 
consciously know that, but she takes on maybe that attitude towards a, a cold distance towards male figures specifically because of the way her mother treated her own son. So when at the beginning of the movie, before we know anything, she seems like one of those mothers who's like, by definition, not a bad mother. Like they have a nice house, they have clothing, you know, they have all the things they need or could want. Um, But she, the, the part that she's missing is like the maternal aspect, the love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, the thing is, though, I think she does love both the kids, and it's not like a in-her-own-way thing. I think why she and Peter have a fraught relationship is because he caught her trying to burn them alive <laughs> in her sleep um, when he was a kid. that's true. <laughs> so, and it's wild that the Wikipedia article left this out. But yeah, um, there is a moment where Peter explains, or or Annie explains that she is a sleepwalker, and when her kids were little, she apparently slept walk into their room and doused them in paint thinner, and she lit the match and. And when she lit the match to set them on fire, the kids woke up and started screaming and never forgave her. So I think that's part of the distance that we're seeing is that to her kids, they don't know what's happening and neither does she. She thought she just had this weird episode when she was sleepwalking. They think, oh, our mom doesn't care about us and wants us to die and was literally about to set us on fire. Um, And I think that's like what we're seeing. And... The thing is, she wasn't, like, we realized at the end, she was trying to save them. Like, she was, she was trying to save them from this fate she didn't know about, but, um, subconsciously, she knew if she burned them alive, King Payman couldn't fucking take their bodies. (laughs) Um. What's this? (laughs) Human barbecue or being possessed by a demon. I don't know. Honestly, it's a toss up. It's a toss up. It is a toss up. Um, so I think, I think that's part of what we're seeing. Now, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say her relationship with her own mother and seeing how her mother treats the, the men or boys of her family had nothing to do with it because that is disingenuous. It almost certainly did. Um, but I think for her and Peter, very specifically, I think that's a really big problem that he caught her doing that. And um, it Fine. informs that their relationship. That also makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I, in my interpretation, forgot that, you know, important piece of context that she did try to light her kids on fire. Out of love. That's Out the love. sick part. You know, that's the that sickest s- part. And it's like she is trying to be a mother. She is trying to protect her kids just in a really fucked up way that no one understands. And that is also so tragic of like. And then also, well, let's also talk about her sleep, like her sleepwalking and saying that she didn't want Peter. Mm. (laughs) Because that just like adds another fucking layer to it where she reveals that she tried everything to abort Peter. But. I forgot Again, about that. It, she, you know, reveals, like, I didn't want you. She wasn't ready to be a mom. And, like, I also think there's a lot of... I. It's a really fucked up thing to say, but I also think it's really important that there's an honesty there about that. Because we don't see that a lot in cinema, of, like, a mom kind of, like, openly admitting that and talking about how she wasn't ready to be a mother. And it's fucked up. This, it's not saying it's not, but I think there is still an honesty there that's important. But then, you know, she reveals this to Peter. And is like, I tried so hard to get rid of you, which, you know, please don't reveal that to your children. But that also speaks mm. to the inevitability. Like, she was, like, she was destined to have this fucking baby. Like, this baby mm. is coming into the world no matter what for a very specific reason. Yeah. And it's the wording she uses, too. She says, I never wanted to be your mother. Yes. That's so pointed. That's so, so pointed. pointed. It, 
Yeah, I didn't even think about how that factors into their relationship, too. Because, yeah, she's revealing it here, but he must feel it. And that, see, that's why I also, like, see it as not just the point where she tries to light them on fire. I think, obviously, that's a huge, huge part of it. But in her saying that and revealing it, you can kind of, I think, infer. And again, a lot of what happens with this movie is a lot of inference, which I think is also really interesting. But, like, you can kind of infer that maybe she never fully treated Alex the same as Charlie because of these feelings like from when he was conceived to now so I think that also like you said informs like the relationship and distance they have and then her trying to kill them only added to that and probably only like compounded Peter's feelings of she does not like me very much but here's the thing right what if this is me making this up what if the reason that she tried to abort him was because she just subconsciously knew something bad was going to happen? Just like with oh. the with the sleepwalking and paint thinner. Because when she reveals that in that scene, which is one of my favorite scenes, so I don't know how I didn't include, I <laughs> didn't think about that. Um, <laughs> when she says that, he, the way that Peter cries is really funny, and I think it might just be how Alex Wolf cries because I've seen him in other stuff, and he does the same kind of cry. He's like, "You trying to kill me?" When he says that, she's like, "No, I love you." You know what I mean? So, yeah. what if it was that? Because she does love him, and I think that she can't get a i think she doesn't know why she did that like with the paint thinner Uh, i think she doesn't understand i i I agree with that i don't think she understands why that happened she was innately driven to do it yeah what if that was part of why she was trying to abort him i do think part of it is almost certainly that she didn't want to be a mother because that's the way she says it i don't know something to think about that's really interesting what if she was trying to save him the whole time but Then, then again, I don't know, because she foils Ellen's plan anyway by keeping her away from Peter when he was a baby. Which is why Charlie is the sacrifice later, because um, she, she wasn't around Peter to get to him, to do all her stuff. Because we didn't well, even talk what? about this, and, we... and the article didn't talk about it, but she was, like, breastfeeding Charlie and shit yeah, like I that. Was... So, actually... If you're cool with it, can we kind of talk about your trans reading of this? Like, kind of, tra- like, after, in a little bit? Because I think there, I, there's a lot I want to talk about in terms of, like, Charlie becoming, like, the vessel. And Charlie being almost coded masculine with her grandmother. Mm-hmm. And if, because she even says, like, she wished I was a boy. And there's, again, the reveal through the miniatures that... Ellen, not Ellen, yeah, Ellen wanted to breastfeed Charlie and, like, have this, like, really weird, creepily close relationship with Charlie. And I think we know, and we've talked about how Payman needs a male body, but then Charlie is chosen instead. And I think there's something really fascinating going on there. And I know you've written about it, if you want to talk about that at all. Yeah, but again, I have no notes, so... I know, but... (laughs) You ask me a question, I'll try to answer it. Can we do it that way? Yeah, so I'm just curious, like, what... And I've read what you've written about this, but just, like, to hear more about, like, what your thoughts are and kind of how you interpret Charlie then embodying Peter's body and put into, like, a male body... Or that's how I read it, that Charlie is, like, is transplanted into Peter's body. It's really hard, um, because <laughs> Sorry to I, put you on the spot! <laughs> I should have read what I wrote. I, it's been so long since I did the research, but, um... Because I, I remember I edited it, and I was like, fu- it was so fucking cool. Thank you. And th- Yeah. It's changed, actually, a lot since what I sent you, because that was before I did it for school. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I wrote, like, I wrote a paper, or I wrote, you know, a chapter for a book that ended up 
I, I actually don't even know what the fuck happened to it. It's just not happening anymore. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> as far as I know, no one has actually said anything. But, um, no shade. That's just how it went down. But, um, I rewrote it entirely for school. And I talked about how, you know, Charlie is kind of coded as queer throughout the movie. Like, um, she's at least very androgynous. It's different. Like, so the scene where Annie is trying to comfort Charlie and Charlie says, she wished I would have been a boy. Um, Annie's response doesn't really like, she doesn't really respond to that sentiment. She says, well, I was a tomboy when I was your age, which is not the same thing as she wishes I was the opposite sex. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always thought that was really interesting. Um, but again, like, she, Charlie isn't like explicitly queer. I think that possibly why she dresses, you know, sort of androgynous and, and she does have, you know, and I hope that no one will take this as me um, saying anything bad about the actor, Millie Shapiro, but she does have sort of an androgynous face. It's like, you know, yeah. she, she she's not, like, hyper-feminine, you know? Yeah, she's got, like, an, a, a, like a, a face that you don't, like, a face shape and, like, facial features you don't, like, are, that are, like, kind of unique and different. And I think, on I think, unfortunately, in this movie, her unique facial features are kind of using her to code her as very weird creepy. and creepy. And yeah, I think that is pretty shitty. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think she's gorgeous. I follow her on TikTok now and she's like a cool alt girl. <laughs> it's so cool. But it's I just think it is. And rewatching it the way that Aster codes just the way Millie Shapiro looks as weird is not my favorite and i also think that this movie codes her as having some kind of like coding her as as being different than other kids like i don't know if that means autistic or has like a learning disability or something but i think he try i think she is coded as being on like with some kind of disability if that makes sense which she does she does have a disability in real life yeah, but I think in the movie it like makes her they again they use that as weird. If that makes sense, I like, agree. She's, they, she's like they use that disability as making her even a even more of a weirdo. Like in class, she's making like the figures and is awkward when she talks to her teacher and like collects dead bird heads and like clicks her tongue as a t- like, has a tick where she clicks her tongue. And things like that. Like, they use... I think Aster uses disability in a not very progressive way here. Like, that would be my, perhaps, like, one big complaint with this movie is the coding of Charlie. Um, I would agree to an extent. Like, so... Yeah. Um, regarding her face shape and stuff, um, the reason it's unique... And again, she's, like a gorgeous little girl like please no one uh think that we're talking shit by saying like she's androgynous or unique or whatever um but she has um i i don't i guess it's considered a disability it's um do you say cleidocranial dysplasia or cleidocranial dysplasia maybe it's probably clido we're gonna go with cleidocranial dysplasia um which i don't really exactly know what that is i don't i feel like it doesn't have anything to do with like brain function I, i'm not 100 yeah i think i think that is probably more of a bone structure thing i think yeah. what but like i think that aster gives codes her as having either maybe she's on this again like i am making assumptions like very wide assumptions with that but they code her as very socially awkward and very odd and not like it doesn't just seem like related to like what like Millie Shapiro's actual like actual bone structure I it feels like he is trying to code her as also like mentally different than others yeah that's the part where I like see it 
And I almost agree, but also, like, the reason why she's, like, doing the little projects and stuff is actually because she subconsciously, like, knows they're all going to be sacrificed. They're not, like, random art projects. It's, like, she's creating the same structures that we see at the end of the movie. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, it like, again, like, that makes sense at the end. But it does, I guess, I don't know. Again, I like, think I think he wants us to, like, that's why I agree, but, like, kind of don't fully. Because um, okay. I think, and like, if you were to first watch this movie, the first time you see it, you don't know what's going on. So I think that he does want you to think that, it's like some sort like she has some sort of brain thing going on like i again whether it's like autism or whatever we don't know um and then i think he treats that like a red herring like he's like actually it was that she's um borderline possessed already because like payment is already within her um the whole time it's just that oh he uh, oh, he is. I, I didn't. I'll, when I wrote about it and when I like researched it and stuff, that's how I interpret it is that okay. he needed the body of Peter, but he was already there, you know, and I think that it's payment driving her to create these little figures and shit like that. So, you do you see what I mean, though? Like, I think that I he... I think Aster wants us to think, oh, she's, you know, you know, quote-unquote quirky. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it's, um, which, <laughs> that's so rude. But um, then it turns out, oh, actually, like, they're in a death cult. <laughs> or whatever. Interesting. Okay. At least from the trans perspective, that's how yeah. I see it, is that Payman's already inside of her, and she needs the body. So, um, I guess Aww. to go a little further Ooh. into it, like, obviously, and not all trans people agree on this, but um, for me, I always felt like, uh, when I was a kid, I felt like a boy. I actually was surprised that other people did not see me that way. I, I was a very androgynous child, like, if, if, if not even androgynous, like, butch, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, I always looked very hyper masculine, um, and acted hyper masculine. I know I don't seem like that hyper masculine now, but if you can believe this or not, when I was a kid, I like loved sports and shit. <laughs> um, huh. yeah, uh, I I thought that I already was a boy. Like I when I was a little kid and someone would be like, What do you imagine like when you grow up? I did not see like if I hadn't started hormones, I didn't see that person. I saw like what I look like now. You know? Uh, um and okay. and again, not all trans people agree. Like some people are like, no, I wasn't always a, a boy, or I wasn't always a girl. I grew up a boy, and then I changed, you know, and whatever, yeah. that's fine. I'm not here to take anybody's experience away. Yeah. Um, but when you think about the the movie in tra in terms of transness, um, I think it, you could make the argument that Payman was already inside of her, and that's why Ellen was so devoted to her, um, was because she was caring for Payman because Ellen was Queen Lee, Payman's basically Payman's wife. But then, how did he get into? How did he get into her? And I think Ellen put he... put him there. I think that's why. Like, oh, but then he's not like it. But it's not like the form he needs to like truly accomplish what he wants to accomplish. So she's like incubating him in a way. Right. Exactly. She gave oh, him a God. temporary body. She gave him a temporary oh. body. And she and he like needs that. if you think about it in trans terms, he's experiencing oh. dysphoria. He needs oh. the male body. He oh. won't be satisfied until he gets it. Holy shit, that's fucking cool. Whoa, fuck. 
So if you, you oh could even, God. I did write like in one of my drafts, I wrote um, an iteration of Payman being dysphoria itself. Like, <gasps> um, I don't, I can't really flush that out too much because I scrapped that idea. Maybe I'll go back and revisit it, but um, you could make the argument that he represents dysphoria, and that's Write why from- he needs to. <laughs> I I just might because I'm trying to quit my fucking job. <laughs> okay, I everyone I keep harassing Dax to write for me at Dread Central. Just it's an ongoing. I really want to. I really do want to. <laughs> Please know, don't think know, I'm blowing know, you off. No, you are incredibly busy. I just like to give you shit for it so you know that you always have a home with me. Anyway. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. I mean, look, it's all just speculation and interpretation, right? This could all be fucking bullshit, and I realize that. It's so smart, though. I think that's what I love about this movie is I think it really does lend to a lot of really fascinating interpretations, and that I think is so fucking fascinating. And, but I also think like, I think adds a lot of fucking context to Charlie's character because I do Mm -hmm. think like with that has given me an even deeper appreciation and it's hard. It's like, you know, I still think that the way Aster depicts her is a little troublesome, but it is if that. Yeah. I'm totally. Charlie still being an incubator for Mm -hmm. Payman is, like, really fucking cool. And again, still doesn't necessarily... I I think that's really fucking cool, and I still think Aster maybe kind of wasn't the most careful. But at the same time, yeah, anyway. It's like he was and he wasn't, right? Because he definitely did his research. Like, even the book that uh, Annie finds has some of this highlighted. Yeah, yeah, and I think, like, there's that, I think that's definitely, like, that's his intention. I just think, like, he did not make, perhaps pull it off in the best way, but hey, like, you know, that's why we talk about these movies and love them, but also can still maybe, like, talk about perhaps maybe the not... Listen, I am not gonna sit here and be like, he is totally not ableist, because while I don't think that's his intention... Midsummer also has problematic <laughs> yeah, ableist that's stuff. That's the thing. It's like I don't think he per- he means to be, but I also think he doesn't think about it. I don't think right, which is ableist. Which is ableist. Like even if it's not intentional, it's still ableist to like maybe not consider. It's even at like you not even like considering the fact that perhaps this is not the 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 best avenue for for uh, representation. And I do wonder how much influence millie shapiro had herself like on the character um because i know that you know the tongue clicking thing that wasn't written into the script i'm fairly certain i think she came up with that herself i would love to hear her perspective on like ableism and and things like that in in this movie yeah i i think that would be a really important like that's an important perspective on it because i'm talking out my ass for the most part no, no, I don't think so. But I don't think, you know, we're the foremost authorities on it. If oh, somebody else wanted to. Not. <laughs> if somebody, um, you know, who is disabled wanted to chime in or let us know, please feel free to reach out. We would love to hear it. But yeah, I, anyway, I'm not going to sit here and be like, no, he's not problematic. Because <laughs> it's like, well, it is a problem if you're not thinking about it. That means you're showing your privilege that you don't have to think about it ever. Sorry, I, I, I stopped for a second because I found an article about how recently, like in the last year, that Millie Shapiro like wasn't the biggest fan of how Charlie was used in the film, especially because okay. a lot of the comments about about the movie were like, you look like basically were about her appearance. Her, her appearance. That's so yeah. gross. And That's I so think, gross. And she's just like, she posted on TikTok that she was like, oh, what did she say? Hold on. I'm looking at it right now. Sorry, everybody. We can cut out me doing this. She's so cute, like, as a person. And they, per- oh, and she also revealed that they purposefully made her look her, like, even worse. Like, they, if you look at what Millie Shapiro, like, looks like not in the movie, they did definitely exaggerate features. Mm-hmm. Like, and so, and she reveals that and is talking about how, like, she looked, they made her look 
her worst and then people were making comments about it so she and i think that's obviously based on physical features but because those physical features were played up to make her look scary and make the movie scary because again like she is very prominently featured in the marketing and a a lot of people thought this was going to be a creepy kid movie until she's killed like fucking a third of the way into the movie and the using her looking like a creepy kid and exaggerating that is pretty weird. Like, not the best. Especially for a child. <laughs> Agreed. She doesn't deserve that. And yeah. that's so gross of everyone. And if if anybody listening to this podcast did that to her and I find out I'm kicking her butt, I don't care. I'm gonna fight you. I, I honest, I would. I'll fight anybody. But <laughs> yeah. Give me a reason. Um, no, that's horrible. But- and that's why I wanted to like make a distinction. <laughs> like yeah. we are not saying she's creepy because of how she looks. I, if anything, I, I think was, she's yeah, like a I was cute gonna say, kid. I was going to say, I think it, I thought she was more creepy in the way she was acting than the way she looked. Because yeah. she's, because <laughs> again, like she's a weird <laughs> kid. Like they, and they make her a weird fucking kid who like clicks her tongue and decapitates pigeons. And she's like a loner. Like, she just is a weird kid. I always think of when they go to the party and he's trying to get rid of Charlie so that Peter is trying to get rid of Charlie so he can go smoke with his crush who clearly hates him. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which I love. I don't want to go too far into it, but I love that, like, his crush thinks he's fucking weird and hates him and... (laughs) Um, because that's just not something you see in a movie usually. It's incredible. Like, he's trying so hard. He's like, I got game, and she's like, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> yeah, she only gives him the time of day because he has weed, but yeah. um, he's, he's trying to get rid of Charlie. And he's like, look, Charlie, they have they have cake. And she's like, not for everyone. <laughs> I always think of that. Because but, like, like, the way that they, like, aggressively also have the shot of the person the chopping, chopping nuts. I reference nuts. that. At Check least once nuts. a week. <laughs> She's like, chop, 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 chop. who the fuck cuts like that? I That makes me laugh every single time. There's no way that wasn't supposed to be funny. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> it's so obvious because they talk about Charlie's like severe nut allergy at the beginning. So when they like have this very obvious shot of a girl <laughs> aggressively chopping walnuts in the middle of a rager at her house. <laughs> you know, Ari Aster was like, I know a way that they won't miss this. <laughs> He's, He's like, like see inevitability, chop. and it's like, oh, so dumb, but I love it. It's incredible. Like, I would be watching <laughs> that in the theater, and that happening, and and now husband Steve going, well, she's <laughs> <laughs> gonna eat those. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh so hard every every time I see it. It never gets it's old, so and every time funny. I cook, I reference that. <laughs> I'll just turn and be like. Chop, 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 chop. <laughs> Oh man! Anyway, I always think of that when I, when I think of her being like the weird kid. She's like not for everyone. <laughs> it, I hate to say it, but it does make me laugh how she says that. Even though she's not bad or anything, I don't know why it just makes me laugh. It's just like that whole thing is like I love Ari Aster trying to like depict a high school party. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Clearly he's... I mean, look, I'm one to talk. I I don't think I ever went to a high school party, but he definitely never did. (laughs) It's absolutely incredible. I love it so much. Uh, Who would be making... I don't know. I've never been to a high school party, so you tell me. But who the fuck is making a full walnut chocolate cake at a party? Why wouldn't it already be done? Yeah. (laughs) That's that always. I know. I always find that too. I'm like, why didn't you do this before? Like, what are you doing? I mean, why, just like, yeah, why I are you even a, making a I cake for this? College parties where people just like decide to make things, so maybe they were drunk and hungry, but then like chopping, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> it's a lot. We could, you know, we might need to make this a three parter so we can talk about this scene. <laughs> Oh, man. Part two, we just talk about them cutting walnuts for an hour and a half. <laughs> the history of the walnut. Um, so, <laughs> we on. have only scratched the surface, I feel like, with this movie. But we will be doing a part two, obviously, where I will be talking about the miniatures forever. 
we'll talk about that ending. And then I also want to talk about uh, the score and the scariest, most fucked up scenes and just kind of delve into those for next week's episode. Or the week, the yeah, next week's episode. <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> you good? You all right? No. <laughs> no. Apparently not. Oh, man. Yeah. But, um. Did we get to the points you wanted to cover today? Yes, almost all of them. Okay, good. So, so I, you have some more for next time. Oh, I have so much more for next time. I want us to talk about that ending next time for sure. Like, really jump into it. But so, this has been... Oh, I love this movie so much. You've blown my mind, like, with your interpretations too. So I'm glad we're talking about it. Thank you. I wish I could... I wish I prepared so that I could have talked about it more. You, you um, were incredible. Thank you. I mean, if you have, if anybody wants to get into it, I am a dork and I would love to talk about it, like, as I have time. So tweet me. If you message me, I probably won't answer right away. I'm so sorry. But a tweet takes, like, no time for me <laughs> to respond to. Well, and then tw- if you have questions, too, we can answer on the podcast next time. So yeah, I would love answer, to. If you guys and have those, too. If you, like, want to talk about it a little bit more next time, too, like, I'll actually prepare for it. Will this end up being a three-parter? Who knows? Because <laughs> yeah, now it's turning into, like, a Q&A. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I mean, there is just this movie. There's just so much. And this is Ari Aster's first movie. Fucking asshole. Like, who makes their first feature film this? Oh, man. This, like, this is, like, oh. the equivalent of, like... Okay, it's not the equivalent. Please, no one come at me. But do you ever think about Orson Welles being like 24 when he made Citizen Kane? And you're like, well, I'm going (laughs) to hang it up, I guess. (laughs) But I think there is a good, like, again, not comparing Citizen Kane to Hereditary, but I think there is something to be said about like these people who just come out the goddamn gate with just like fucking incredible movies. Yeah, Orson Welles is like, oh, how hard can it be to make a movie? Ari Aster is like, yeah, same. And then Jordan Peele, and then fucking Robert Eggers. I, 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 I will say Jordan Peele had so much experience, though. Like that. That's guy, true. That that's guy true. But um. Well, they all had experience in some way, but yeah, he directed like, like but, episodes and stuff. I will say it fucking cracks me up to watch the shorts of Ari Aster, and like obviously the strange thing about the Johnsons and Munchausen are incredible. But then there's like the Turtle Head and his weird commercial he made, and it's just very funny to see like. <laughs> Some of his it's called brain sweaty <laughs> it's so weird also incredible that we talked about his shorts and then Bo is afraid which was once known as disappointment boulevard got announced this week or last I week i know that's so wild that was Isn't so that wild? unexpected yeah yeah so i love that wild but i'm ex- it's actually coming so yay because we were like i don't know when this movie is happening so i know that's Very part exciting. of why we were like originally we had talked about covering ari aster like when we first started the podcast we were like okay well we're definitely going to talk about him and we had talked about waiting until his next movie came out so there was more to talk about and i think we didn't even talk about this like um for when we were deciding for this um I just series like, had, but we were just like, like don't... we don't know when that's happening like we didn't even discuss it it was just understood that probably yeah. it would be never like that yeah exactly and it, well whatever we can always do an episode covering it like a one-off episode would it oh yeah we don't have a release date for it yet do we i think it's just 2023 so who the fuck knows all but... of 2023 it's a really long movie it comes out every day i'd watch it <laughs> well everyone thank you for listening to part one of our hereditary uh discussion in our ari aster series let us know if you have questions or thoughts that we could share uh next episode i know that a lot of us have a lot of thoughts and feelings about hereditary so you can send us those thoughts and feelings to uh our email at uh, wonuppodcast at gmail.com or you can uh, tweet at us, DM us on Twitter um, at wonuppodcast or you can reach out to us one-on-one if you want to talk to Dax more about his research uh, and just me about my obsession with Hereditary. I am at <laughs> McAndrews. 
And I'm at Daxy Bobbin. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm, we are so excited to be back. Thank you for all of your nice messages about us being back. We appreciate you. Yes, people seem so excited, uh, specifically about this movie. But, I mean, people love Ari Aster, so that's so cool to see. Yeah, absolutely love it. So, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.